today on the Tearsheet Podcast. Well, I think a good amount of it's from just the investments we've made in customer acquisition and, and marketing. Our engine is working really well. And even though we reduced our marketing expense, our CAC has gone down 31% year over year. So we got a, a decent amount of leverage there by spending less, but acquiring almost as many people as if we were to keep our normal marketing budget going on. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Tearsheet Editor-in-Chief, Zach Miller. We've been covering FinTech Dave from its earliest days as a tool to help everyday folks avoid overdraft fees. From there, it added lending, and more recently, it's expanded into general banking. It also went public. Founder and CEO Jason Wilk joins me on the podcast to catch up with what's been going on at Dave after the firm reported its most recent quarter. We talk a lot about extra cash, the firm's short-term overdraft loan, and the role it plays in Dave's customer experience and business model. Recent financials show that the firm has made strides to bring down its expenses, while it's also improved the monetization of its user base of 8 million people. My guest today on the podcast is Jason Wilk. Hey, my name is Jason Wilk. I'm the CEO and founder of Dave. Dave is one of the leading U.S. neobanks, and we're a pioneer, pioneer in financial services using disruptive technology to provide best-in-class bank services to millions of members at a fraction of the cost of incumbents. Our anchor feature, which we brought to market and are a real pioneer in extra cash, is our feature of banking that provides members up to $500 of free overdraft, which they can tap into at any time between paychecks. The company has over 8 million members, and we've been live for about six years and recently went public. Yeah, and so we've gotten a chance to speak along the years. Congratulations on, on going public. We could talk about that as well if you want. But um, if I remember correctly, you really started as a personal finance app focused on preventing overdraft. Is that right? Is that where the extra cash kind of product comes from? Yeah, that's right. That's right. So we originally started out as a overdraft protection solution for any checking account in the country. I found that overdrafting your own account for the last handful of years costs you about $38 to access as little as $5 of overdraft. Right. And many people in this country rely on overdraft to go buy things like gas or groceries. So we created Dave as a way for you to connect your external account. So I would take my Chase or Wells account, connect to Dave. We would monitor your transactions for things that could bring your account negative. And we would spot you originally up to $75 at no interest, no credit check, no late fees as a superior overdraft solution to what your bank offered. It's so interesting because that feels like such low-hanging fruit for banks, but they're not really incentivized to provide overdraft protection, are they? Well, I realized pretty pretty early on in the journey of figuring out the company that the infrastructure and legacy tech stack of the big banks just did not really allow them to offer a free type solution like this to the everyday consumer. They need to charge overdraft fees to support all their bank branches and 100,000 plus employees. When you factor in using technology and a, a bankless strategy, you really can cut out a lot of cost. And then when you layer in things like AI that we've been developing a lot to really uh, improve our underwriting, that has just given us such a leg up to have a, a significant amount of operating leverage on the business and keep our costs really low for customers. And so, and so what's Dave's business model? How do you guys make money? So the original model of Dave was $1 a month for financial insights. So we'll give you alerts about upcoming bills like right. Netflix, water and power, rent. I felt that it was really important in a product I really wanted when I was growing up 
to understand how much money I could truly spend before my next paycheck. And with so many bills tied to auto pay and you're not sure what's happening with your credit card, it was impossible to keep track of where you stand. So a dollar a month seemed like a real bargain to figure out how much money you truly had. The second way we make money is on the extra cash or overdraft feature. Customers can access the money entirely for free. They basically go through our underwriting process, which takes, takes a few seconds, and they're prompted with the ability to send the money to their bank account, which takes about one to three business days for free. If someone wants the money sent to their debit card, we use the MasterCard and Visa Rails for that, and we do charge an, an instant push fee for that. Push. In addition, we ask for a tip. If customers want to give us a tip for any of our features within the Dave app, we were the first one to bring that to market. And people can tip us anywhere from zero to 15% of the amount that we extend them or any other feature we, we, we use for them. So is it fair to say that extra cash and the value proposition there sort of underscores Dave's value proposition in general? Yeah, I'd say if you think about our mission, which is to level the financial playing field, wealthy people are not paying overdraft fees. And when they do, their bank will refund them instantly. And so when I think about a checking account that's leveling the playing field, a product where people can access small amounts of money without having to pay absurd fees is something that I think really resonates back with, with the mission. Based on the success of Extra Cash, it was no surprise that our number one most requested feature from our members was to launch our own debit card. And the reason for that is people still pay a lot of other fees like Chase and Wells, they charge these egregious minimum balance fees and it's $15, $20 a month if you don't have a certain amount of transactions or keep a certain amount of balance, which keeps a lot of people out of the financial system as well. And there are things like customer support fees, there's wire fees, there's so many things that we feel like we could also disrupt by offering a free checking service. And that was our next launch that we had. So can we talk about some of the features on, on that? Yeah. Yeah, look. I don't think there's a lot of differentiation when it comes to a checking account. Right, checking account's a checking account, right? Yeah. yeah, as long as it works, the thing you can really disrupt are the fees. And so mm -hmm. again, we're using technology, using third parties to bring together a solution for members that they can access 50,000 free ATMs. They can deposit a check for free. They can, <clears throat> they can do all their basic banking transactions and not to worry about paying overdraft fees or minimum balance fees. And that's really our big disruptor. But not many people go to market just offering a free checking account. You have to have something different to bring customers in the door. And we feel like that's what our extra cash feature really solves for, getting people money within minutes of downloading our app and joining our banking service. They can tap into some extra funds. So Jason, one of the things I noticed about um, your, your quarterly earnings that you just reported, you reported last week? Yes, last um, Monday. Even even as you've cut marketing spend, um, some of the core metrics in terms of usage and spend are going up. Can you talk about some of the leverage in the model and how that's happening? Well, I think a good amount of it's from just the investments we've made in customer acquisition and, and marketing. Our engine is working really well. And even though we reduced our marketing expense, our CAC has gone down 31% year over year. So we got a, a decent amount of leverage there by spending less, but acquiring almost as many people as if we were to keep our normal marketing budget going on. So that that's certainly, uh, we're also just cleaning up a lot of our cost structure across the business. We were able to just renegotiate a lot of our contracts. 
improve some of our payment flows and just start to really start improve our variable margin, which is a big lever on our, on our path to profitability. Understood. So, so maybe can we, do you have some insight into how with, even with lower marketing spend, your, your CAC is still going down? Is that, is, is that power of the brand um, or is that just maturation of, of some of the activities you had done in the past sort of bearing fruit? It's, it's a, a hybrid of, of many things, I would say. So I think, yes, we've done a lot of interesting work around channel expansion, channel optimization. We are very well diversified in our marketing now. We used to be very heavy on a couple of, of social channels. Now we are across a dozen different channels at scale. So we feel really good about the longevity of what, we have, what we've built on that side. I will say, though, you know, the pullback of just fintech in general from a funding perspective Crypto, especially, was really creating a lot of noise in, in, in marketing. They were spending a ton of money on marketing, which led to increased CPMs across the board. And that mm -hmm. just puts a lot of pressure on CAC in general. And then with the neobanks struggling on valuation right now, VCs are not putting as much money to work, which means you know less marketing dollars coming in the, in the business from competition, which also helps. What I thought was interesting about what you've done at Dave was also that that you were profitable before you went public, and and you've spoken about um, aiming for profitability in twenty twenty four. Other 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 neo banks don't necessarily have those metrics. I mean, what what do you attribute that to? Oh, I'd, I'd say we were profitable in eighteen and nineteen, so we've been there before, which gives us a lot of a lot of hope that we get there we get there again, and. The real reason we went from profitable to unprofitable was just we made a pretty big investment in the team and not an overinvestment, which is important. We've never done any kind of riff at the, at the business. We feel like we're, we're pretty right-sized. But we took the company from about, call it 80 employees when we were profitable. Now we're about 320 employees. Mm -hmm. And the cost over a couple year time period. And that oh, wow. was really for and how long two time period? One was in our all of our AI underwriting. Okay. And the second one, which is in a larger investment, was just in our, our banking side of the business. You know, building up uh fraud departments, building up all your program and all all of that side of the business is can be a great one, but until you reach scale, I mean that business was at a sort of negative gross margin for us for a while. And so we're very thankful we have a great um, anchor product in, in extra cash, which does drive great margin. 2023, we actually turned the corner on that and we can actually start to have gross margin economics be positive for that part of the business. But it's gotta be tough out there for most of the neobanks that are subscale and do not have another means of driving uh, driving margin. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I'd love to switch gears. You've mentioned a couple of times about uh, the investment in AI uh, for the lending product. Can we talk about how you envision AI, what, what you're doing there and, and some of the advances you've made? Yeah, well, so we use, two, we use AI in two different places in the company. One is for customer support. Uh, our AI is answering over half of our, our calls at this point, which has really brought down our cost pretty significantly. And I view that to be one of the leading ways that we can disrupt these incumbent banks is using technology to keep our cost structure low. And that's something we feel gives us a competitive moat. AI is one of those great tools where we can now service hundreds of thousands of calls a month or messages and not have to have any human inter intervention. 
The second piece around underwriting, given most of our underwriting is, is cash flow based, we're looking at transactions. And so an AI is, is able to look into transactions and not only figure out the easier stuff, which is when someone gets paid, but looking at all sorts of transaction types and inflows and outflows where you where you shop to try and develop a score. And this score is really not meant to keep people out. It's actually to try and improve access for the general public to, to be able to um, use a product like this. And so it's been a great advancement to not only increase our amount. So extra cash limits have gone from 100 to 500 over the last couple of years. And we've seen default rates go down year over year. That's not, that wouldn't be possible with like a basic rules engine. And so we think AI is a, a really good testament to that. We're one of the very few companies that are engaged in short-term lending that are seeing improvements in, in loss rate. Uh, I'd love to maybe switch our perspective out into the future. Um, what is What does the product pipeline look like? What are some of the initiatives you have in the company focused on 2023? Yeah, I think it's more investments in in AI and how we can use that to better service the features of our of our customers. We already offer insights today, but how can that get even better with with uh, with AI? We have extra cash today, but given all the transactions we're using to underwrite people for extra cash, which is billions and billions of transactions, we've issued extra cash sixty five million times at this. Point. So the engine keeps getting smarter. We're excited about using that opportunity to get ourselves into other types of credit products in the future, which will give us a leg up because of our head start we have around underwriting. And I guess if you launch more uh, credit products, um, I guess the debit card then sort of, it's sort of a hub and spoke model. You, you want somebody coming to and using Dave every day to sort of track their expenses? Well, whether somebody is using the debit card or something like a you know, if we were to launch a credit card in the future, as an example, we'd still want people to deposit their main paycheck into Dave. So it's important that we have that checking account functionality in which device to use to transact with us. I think we're somewhat, um, we, we don't care as much about which which piece they're using. We do, we would drive more interchange with a credit card type product, but it's all about making sure we're the primary destination for our members. And that really is a good stepping stone towards offering future products to be someone's entire financial hub. So, so getting the paycheck is, is super important. And, and what are some of the things that you've done there to kind of encourage your, your user base to, to treat a Dave account as their primary account? Well, again, it's things like reducing fees for everyone, making sure we're not charging those overdraft and minimum balance fees, which we're doing a good job of. We have a check caching solution now for people to be able to deposit the check. And we also have a goal-based savings account, which people can set up up to five targeted-based savings products where... They can save for a uh, house, vacation, hospital bills, whatever they like, and we'll soon be turning on interest interest for that as well, with interest rates going where, where they are. <laughs>